introduction for myself and then we're going to hear about Deborah, her story and learn all about her consulting business. So my name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I am CEO of EJT Consulting LLC and Get Launch Consulting, which is my program that walks educators through the process of launching their own consulting business. And so I'm so excited to be here tonight with Deborah, who was a member of Cycle 2 of Get Launch Consulting. Yes! (laughs) For us to learn all about her and her consulting journey. So, oh my gosh, Deborah, it's been a minute since I've seen your face. I'm just like (laughs) taking it in, the fact that that I get to see you and to be with you. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Y'all show Deborah some love. And Deborah, start with just telling folks about your journey, I know some pieces of your story, and I'm, I'm sure you're probably going to share something I don't even know. <laughs> walk, walk folks through your education movie trailer. Just kind of give us a glimpse of how you got into education, maybe some stops you've made along the way, and then what's most present for you on your education leadership journey. Okay. Thank you so much, Erica. It's my pleasure to be here. And I have a very unique journey in that I really think I just came into education at birth. I mean, I can remall child stroking my um, phonics book because I just loved books and reading and everything. And it took me a while to catch on to math because I loved it and I did well with it, but the teachers were not kind. I grew up at a time where it was better to not ask questions, just follow the rules and don't understand why, just follow the steps and you'll be just fine. So it was important to me that kids get to ask questions and that I answer those questions. So that's the type of teacher I've always been. Even before I fell into mathematics, when I was doing my graduate studies, I've just always been a teacher that believed in connection over curriculum and that it was important to know the students. I didn't need notes to write a report card because I know who is the one who's forgetting the comma all the time. Um, I've been to your game. I've been to your figure skating. I I go to your events outside of school so that I know who you are as a human being, as a person. I had a principal who once said, we don't just teach to children. We teach to the very soul of little human beings. And that's a lot of pressure. So (laughs) I have always taken it very seriously. And everywhere where I've been, I've ended up being someone's teacher. Even when I had my moment in corporate, I worked for the Prudential. Bet you didn't know that, Erica. I did not. And even right out of college as a contract specialist, they assigned me to check the work of the other specialists and to be the liaison between IT and the old school specialists. So I wrote a curriculum to teach them how to troubleshoot so the help desk wouldn't get ridiculous questions like, I'm stepping on this mouse and it's just not doing anything. Not a sewing machine pedal, my love. It's a mouse. (laughs) So I've always been someone's teacher and I've just, everything about education and learning is what I love to do. Even with yoga, you mentioned yoga. I loved doing yoga, but then I wanted to bring it to children and then I couldn't just bring it to children. I had to study it. So I went and did the training. 200-hour yoga, yoga and mindfulness for kids, teens, kids with special needs, yoga for trauma. (laughs) It's like, if I love something, I'm all in. I'm all in. Oh my goodness. I love that so, so much. 
So you shared some really, really unique things about your story. There's a couple places that I want to go deeper because you've talked about some things that are really unique in terms of kind of your education philosophy, in terms of the content that you've taught as well as this really unique part of of who you are in terms of yoga. And that's been a a huge part of your instructional practice. But tell folks, because you you didn't quite mention this, and some folks may assume it, but I think it's it's helpful to to state it clearly, of how long you've been in education and some of the roles that you've had in your education journey. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not going to count that I was a Sunday school teacher at 11. I'm not going to include that. But even even without counting that, I have been in education for 30 plus years. I know I don't look it, but yes, I have legitimately been in the classroom serving as a mentor, serving as a coach. My uh, wheelhouse is elementary, anything elementary. I've taught everything from preschool through fifth grade, all subjects. I've taught in the elite private schools. I've taught in the hood. I've taught in the Bronx and in Connecticut, in Georgia, and right now I'm in Florida, mostly doing consulting here. I'm a curriculum writer for illustrative mathematics. So if you name it, I've probably done it in the field of education because if you ask me to, I'm going to figure it out. Mm. So I, I literally get chills every time I hear educators talk about their journey, in particular for you. It's the chills come from a place of like, man, like you are a unicorn. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the experience that you had of just like geographic wise, like grade band wise, like in terms of even just the sector of education, district schools, you know, private schools. And so like to have that much rich experience of just thinking through the impact of now in your consulting business and and how that influences your perspective and how you can show up for people with this really, really rich, deep toolbox mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. just like, all right, which tool do I need to pick? Because I got a lot. <laughs> so, right, well, you want me to blow your mind a little bit more? Yes, come on. I ran my own homeschool when my kids were... <laughs> Come on, Marvin Collins. When my Come kids on, Marvin Collins. were yes. a little younger and I ha- I taught where I wanted them to go to school. So I taught in private schools often so that they could get a private education. But when they were much younger, and I took time off and I taught them. But then I opened it up to other families. And I'm talking, reported to the Board of Ed. We did testing. I ran a, a home school. They wore uniforms. We had our little desks. <laughs> my kids woke up in our house and got ready for school. Oh so, my gosh, Deborah. Yes. I had no idea. <laughs> and that is so fascinating. That is so fascinating. So let's let's talk a little bit about your business. So let's first start with what is the problem that your business is solving? Mm. I'm going to pick one because I know you are big on stay in your lane, girl, stay in your lane. (laughs) My number one problem that I solve is the issue with confidence in mathematics. And I specifically just said confidence in mathematics because we have an issue not just with students with math confidence, but with teachers, with parents, with establishing a community and a culture of everyone believing they can do math 
The problem that I solve is I come in and help people manage anxiety in math class and life, to be honest, and overcome those hurdles so that they can be confident doers of mathematics. Mm. And so how did you... How did you land on that problem? So that's one of the questions that we that's come up in these conversations mm-hmm. because, you know, I said I've, I've mentioned it, that education is one of those professions where it actually requires you to have multiple superpowers. <laughs> so like that's mm-hmm. what makes being an educator so unique is because we wear so many different hats mm-hmm. between like instruction, building culture, building relationships. And like, there's so many, many competencies that we have to step in and out of and slide in between that we're, we're masters of many things. And so Mm -hmm. when you, especially when you're talking about before around your experience, how did you determine land on this problem? What about that and or your experience that, that made you land there? Uh, And that's an easy one for me to answer because I was a literacy head. I was all about the books and the reading and something happened and everyone was supporting reading. And I looked around and especially at the elementary level, no one was supporting math. So I went back to school. I took some extra coursework and then I really started to zoom in on what's going on in elementary mathematics. I didn't enjoy teaching it. The teachers around me didn't enjoy teaching it. And the children certainly did not enjoy learning it. Even the students who were really good at it didn't love it at all. Mm. So I started paying attention and I realized you could have a high quality curriculum. You can have brilliant teachers. You can have students who show up because they want to be there. But if they're not confident doers of mathematics, none of that matters. Mm. None of it matters if they don't look at mathematics as something other than procedures numbers, steps, not as something that is beautiful, that can be creative, that they can find everywhere around them. They just need to have positive experiences. And I watched it. I watched it happen younger and younger. I taught fourth grade for about 12 years. And I had students who came to me already broken, just done. You know, my first grade teacher told me that I should stick to writing. Whoa, (laughs) I I called a student a math genius one time and I called my students, you know, speak those things that be not as though they are. So that was how I how I taught. When you walk in the door, you're already there. Mm. And And a parent actually called to have a conference with me and was fussing that I need to stop lying to her child. And I mean, really went off. And And I said, but what would stop him from being a math genius? And we had that conversation. There were some tears. Mm. Um, We talked about some things and I just recognized the amount of healing that was needed and also how parents were projecting some of their pain, some of their math trauma. It's real. It's real. I'm telling you, if there were a degree in math therapy, I would hold it because that's what I would want to say. I I could be a math therapist right about now because the, the parents need support healing because a lot of us experience math trauma and don't even realize it, which is why when parents say, why can't they just learn it the way we did? I don't understand because we hated it. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Why, what, why would I want my child to go through what I went through when there is another way, there is a better way. So it's been my mission to help children, teachers, and families just, even if you don't fall in love with math, round one, 
you're going to at least feel more comfortable. Mm. You're going to at least know that it's more than numbers and calculations. You're going to know that mathematics is not the same as arithmetic. You're going to understand that mathematics is plural because it's multidimensional. So you're going to have an experience that is going to make you think twice about whether or not math is something you want to do and fall in love with and and give a second chance. It's like that person, that bad relationship that you you, you just wonder, should I give them another chance? Math deserves another chance. Mm-hmm. Now, that buster, he may not deserve another chance, but math. Come on. <laughs> You better preach. <laughs> listen, listen. Dad deserves a second chance. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And you know, my former high school math like heart is like fluttering. You know, as a former <laughs> high school math teacher, I'm like, yes, yes, we've got to heal it. Um, and I love the way you talk about the math trauma because that is what it is of like mm-hmm. how much of the narrative that our our kids and communities hear around math. And then how those messages are multiplied and and magnified when it comes to communities of color, marginalized Mm -hmm. communities of colors, girls, like anybody who is outside of being a white man Mm -hmm. receives messages that they're Mm -hmm. not good at math and they're multiplied over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So the way that you, even the language that you use to describe this problem of math trauma, Mm -hmm. math therapy, of healing Mm -hmm. these wounds is so incredibly powerful. So incredibly powerful. So what does that look like in your business when you thought about your services? How does the the problem that you've defined, how's that translated into the services that you offer? Well, one of the things that I've done with coaches, with teachers, there are a few different things. I offer one workshop that is called A Mindful Approach to Mathematics. And it's based on and encompasses some mindfulness practices that have been specifically tweaked to go along with mathematics and and managing math anxiety. And that's why I said managing anxiety in math class in life, Mm -hmm. because once you understand it for math class, you could do it for anything else. Yeah, You know, breathing or self-talk that is positive self-talk before assessments, before tests. So we walk through some of the activities that you would do with students, with teachers. And I even have a separate one that is actually just mindfulness for teachers. Because if we're to be the anchor in the room and we're walking around having experienced math shame, math trauma, we live with math anxiety, the fake it till you make it only goes but so far. The Mm. kids know and they pick up on that energy. So one of the things I do is offer a mindful approach to teaching mathematics. Another thing is identity work. I do quite a bit with mathematical identity and what it takes to form a positive mathematical identity. But also we start with, where are you on this math spectrum? Math, mental abuse to humans, or I love math, I love math, that's Mm. amazing, or somewhere in the middle. And then why are you there? How did you end up having a positive math identity without even knowing it? What What do you remember? where your parents always talking about it. Uh, Mom and dad, are they people who've always loved math and you've always seen it around you? What is it that helped you as an educator land in a place of a healthy and positive math identity? And how do you then promote that in your classroom? Because it requires work. Mm. So we walk through some of those things. We talk about establishing math community 
a community that is safe for asking questions, taking risks. We focus on the mathematical practices and talk about how that connects. We look at something that I love, one of my favorite things, and I know it's because of my literacy background, is if you ask anyone, what's the most stressful subject or topic or idea in elementary school with math? Not the math concept, but here, here's what I'm going to say. Everybody don't cringe. Word problems. Oh. Mm. So guess what? If we approach word problems with visual representations and we attack those things, those are supposed to be the things that are most scary in elementary math. So if we can address that and have kids confidently approaching that, then everything else is easy. <laughs> so I, I offer some trainings also about dissecting and analyzing word problems and teaching stories, not problems. Let's share some stories. I personally think math stories should be a genre in literature so that kids don't turn off all of their reading strategies. So I could, I mean, you're, you're asking me questions about things that I'm just too passionate about, Erica. We don't have a lot of time. <laughs> I love it. it but, and, well, and you know what? Like I sit here in awe as I hear you talk because I have seen other consultants, other, and I could even say math consultants who don't talk about the work in that way. Mm. And because they don't talk about the work in that way, like it, it's almost as if you're going beyond the content and actually pulling up the roots that are, are creating like self-imposed, society-imposed obstacles and, and, and oppression-imposed like <laughs> obstacles when it comes to doing math. And yeah. so it's just so beautiful and like refreshing to hear the way that you talk about it. Because it's it's a it, it's a trauma informed approach right. to to math, which is so beautiful and so unique, and it should be the way that we talk about it, but we don't. So we have a question in the chat, and if you all have questions, please uh, drop those, and I make sure I'll make sure that those get answered. But someone asked around your target audience if you identify mm-hmm. your target audience as schools and or individuals. Mm. Yeah. Again, I know the rules, Erica. I know the <laughs> rules, but I'm, I'm going to tell my age a little bit with this reference. I'm a true Jamaican and live in color, so I can't just pick one. <laughs> I, I work with students um, virtually doing some math coaching. Notice I didn't say tutoring, but math coaching, because the mm-hmm. kids that I work with aren't necessarily struggling in, in mathematics because they can't comprehend the idea, the mathematical ideas and concepts, but because there's an issue with confidence or they just don't enjoy mathematics. So that's one branch. And I do little workshops and sometimes, you know, I did a summer math camp because they asked for it virtually. And I've been doing math virtually for years, not because of the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. when I move away, families don't want me to, to go. So I stay in touch and we keep doing math. So there's that. I work with teachers. I do some coaching again, virtually. I also work with teachers. I've gone into, since I've only been in Florida about a year and I've worked with a private school. I've also worked with Pinellas County. All right. (laughs) So I've done some professional learning with teachers. Then I've also done it with coaches. And then I also most recently have been talking about doing some district-wide training, funny enough, in Maine. Oh, wow. Uh, Virtual. I mean, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a terrible thing, but it's also out of every dark place. There can be some really beautiful things that come out. You know, butterfly comes out of the dark. You know, children are born out of dark places. You know, it's like the womb is a dark place for the cultivating and the fixing it up. And then it's born 
out into this, you know, the beautiful space. So out of that need for supporting teachers, I had the opportunity to work with teachers all the way in Maine this year, this past year, doing some coaching and curriculum support. So really, there are just so many things, you know, after school programs, summer programs. I'm excited to be working with Unbound Ed. I've been a facilitator with them. Yep, I've done Mm -hmm. uh, some facilitating with them and I'm going to be stepping into uh, a new role with them as well, doing more work with equity and math instruction. So there's not just one little, I'm trying really hard. I know the rules, but- they're fine. If you build it, they will come. When when yeah. people have a need, I, I'm I'm the queen of customizing and giving you what you need. Yeah. Well, here's what I think is interesting. <laughs> the the beauty about entrepreneurship is you get to create the rules. And so hearing you talk on the rules that you've created, right? So we talk about in the program of identifying, you know, your target client. And what Deborah is referencing of when she's saying this rule is because we talk about like starting with one target client. And also at the same time, though, I think there's two things to take into consideration. A, your experience is so rich that actually mm-hmm. it's rare that people are actually positioned to solve or to serve multiple target clients because they ha- have had such rich experience that you do. So that's mm-hmm. so rare. But that is, you're a unicorn. (laughs) You've had such deep experience that you have many areas of genius. You have many zones of genius. And this other piece that not necessarily for relevant for you, but it could be relevant for, for other folks is, you know, when you're just starting in your consulting business, part of of growing and developing your business is experimenting. And so you can start with a hypothesis of who you think your target client is, but Mm -hmm. sometimes you just need to accept engagements to quickly get data back on what you like and what you don't like. And Mm -hmm. so maybe Mm -hmm. you realize like, oh, I enjoyed working with students, but I also enjoy working with teachers. So let me continue to like exercise both of these areas. You're going to get more and more data back that's going to help you further refine your services, further get clear on the problem you're solving. And so that's another piece too, because I think sometimes, even though there's there's power in being able to narrow and focus, I've noticed that a lot of folks who've gone through the program, it, they, they find it hard to narrow and focus so early on, <laughs> um, but, it, but it's because you're just starting. So you got to experiment a little bit and that's going to help you make, make the lane really clear. First off, Nicole from Cycle 2, she was just showing some love and shouting out Cycle yeah. 2. So we got some Cycle 2 family in the house. <laughs> and someone just asked, what are you most excited about for your, your upcoming role with Unbound Ed? Um, I would say the thing I'm most excited about is something I've experienced when I was in just the classroom, when great things were happening. I always wondered, oh, I'm only reaching this few children every year. How can I reach more? So then I started coaching teachers and working with other teachers. And then it was like, oh, I'm just reaching within our little grade. How can I reach more? So there's always been this, how can I expand my reach? And Unbound Ed is doing the work and they've been doing it for a long time. They align with my core beliefs, you know, their mm-hmm. vision. They unapologetically are fighting yes. to dismantle systems of racism and bias. And 
And I'm excited to be a part of something bigger than myself and reach a wider audience and jump into something that is established that already aligns with who I am and the work that I've been doing. Even with reaching audiences within my business, I've partnered with Kanika and Dion and, and and we're not competitors. It's if I don't, if it's not my lane and if it's not my area of expertise, quickly I'm going to recommend one of them. And and that's a part of why we started the hashtag Black Women Rock Math. Mm. Because that's about black women in math education and supporting our individual businesses, but then also supporting the mission of highlighting and amplifying the voices of black women in math education. Mm. So let's let's kind of walk through your business journey a little bit, because I feel like you've had a couple of different iterations of your business. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you like officially filed for Mindful Mathematics, like right towards the end of cycle two. Right. But you were consulting before then. Is is that accurate or correct? No, it's close. I I had filed just before I started the cycle, but I had been consulting. I had been doing some of that work just as an independent consultant for years. Yeah. And it was my way of saying, all right, you're really doing it to actually go for it and do the LLC and file that paperwork. Mm -hmm. But I've been doing, I've been doing this work for years. I've been supporting teachers, even within a school, professional learning days. Sometimes they weren't bringing people in. Sometimes I was one of the people doing professional learning in-house. And the challenge was always that the schools where I worked didn't want me to leave the classroom, but I also would hold these other roles. So I was running summer trainings and doing professional learning and coaching teachers and getting someone to watch my class so I can go to someone else's class to help them. And I always did it, but I just actually proclaimed it and just, you know, put my stake in the ground and said, this is my mathematical mind. Today I'm doing this. And then I jumped into cycle two and the things that you shared were so important, but also validating for me, there was a lot of, ah, okay, okay. It wasn't <laughs> all brand new, but it was the kick in the pants, the social media conversation. I'm like, really? No. Mm-hmm. I was a holdout, but I'm in it now and mm-hmm. I get it. It's almost impossible. I don't want to say impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible to start your own business, to be an entrepreneur in this time and not engage on social media. And I had to just accept that fact. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, a couple of questions, and I'm going to tweak one of them, given that how unique your journey is. So you are starting to kind of like indirectly kind of talk about like why you started consulting, like why that was a move that you made. So just just talk a little bit more around that because you had done really great work in, in many different roles and so what made you des- decide to start moving into consulting? Or was it just like someone gave me an opportunity, I said yes, and then I just <laughs> kept getting opportunities? Was it an intentional decision? Just talk to us how what um, that looks like for you. It was a combination of things. You know, I think as educators, we tend to be givers naturally. There were many times where I was giving and it was just kind of tucked into and other duties. You, you know, that little wording they throw in the contract. Mm-hmm. But then I started picking up on that person from outside. You came in, you paid them for the day. And I served almost as their assistant 
because once they realized that I knew quite a bit, they kept asking, well, what do you think, Deborah? No, you, they paid you to come here and do this training. <laughs> uh, so there was quite a bit of that. Then I also did have some opportunities in-house that exposed me to other schools. So in the summer when I was in Atlanta, when we did summer professional development, other schools were invited to attend. So then I had principals asking, do you ever do this work? Would you come to our school? So there was a little of that. And then I did, I had a, a colleague who said, hey, Deborah, I know your jam is that whole cognitively guided instruction, word problems. And I have this contract and I need somebody to, to I, I can do it, but I know it's your jam. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to come here and do it? And those types of things started happening more and more. Uh, working, writing math curriculum, presenting at conferences. That's another, I mean, and those, you know, when you first start presenting at conferences, it is free and you have to register and you have mm-hmm. to get yourself there. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you are mm-hmm. investing in yourself for the exposure. Uh, one, at one conference, it was maybe, no, 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 it was a people of color conference through NAIS. Edutopia had a rep in the audience and asked me to write for them to be a math writer. From there, a principal reached out. I saw what you wrote for Edutopia. So it was just, you know, these little things along the way that, that started pulling me into it. And then it took off. And, and I was saying yes a little more often and needing to get permission to not be at school so I could go do this other thing. And then once I started working remotely with IM, that really set me free to kind of spread my wings a little bit. Mm. So it sounds like there's, because the question that I've been asking folks during our conversation has been, how did you get your first client? But for you, the question is different because you've been consulting for a while. And mm-hmm. so it sounds like over time that the, your, your sources of clients are either coming through referrals and through your network or through your, the way you're generating leads, uh, you named conferences is a way to mm-hmm. generate leads. So that way you are, are in addition to the referrals, which you can't always predict, you can right. actually, you know, leverage a little bit of strategy to, to start bringing in some leads and being mm-hmm. able to create a little bit of consistency. Or that, would there be any other strategies that would you would name or come to mind mm-hmm. in terms of how clients have been finding you or how you've been bringing in clients to your business? Well, I, I would just love to just speak a little bit more on the conference piece. And there, even within that, there's a path to follow. So first of all, if you're not clear when writing a proposal for a conference, get help. Speak mm. to someone who has presented because there, there are things they look for. And if you've never done it before, ask for help. There are so many people who would be willing to help you get your proposal accepted in the first place. So then... Once you are speaking just in a smaller group, then you have the opportunity to then be an invited speaker and eventually a featured speaker, then a paid speaker. And Mm. I, again, Kanika was one of the first people who said to me, hey, let's be like, I am a featured speaker. Come on with me. Mm. So that's what I do now. So I'm speaking for NCTM. I turned and I said, hey, come on with me so that we are moving forward together. So even once you start presenting in the small groups, you want to continue to make connections, do a wonderful job, make sure you come prepared to give your information. Don't show up empty handed, meaning when someone says, how can I get in touch with you? Don't fumble through your purse 
or look through your bag or hold on, let me scribble something. Be ready for people mm-hmm. to um, get your information, have information for them to get. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was one thing that I also had to learn. It's like, oh, business cards. Oh, um, you know, right now that's not as relevant. But when I was first starting out and the first person that said, how can I get in touch with you? I didn't have a website. I didn't have a business card. I didn't just, I don't, uh, here's my email address, you know, yeah. be ready, be ready. Yeah. yeah. I love this point around conferences because I, I was just talking about this in a clubhouse room that I hosted last week around strategies to find your first client because I did a keynote speaking engagement. It was probably a year and a half ago. And it was actually through through the, the support of Kanika that made that possible and happen. And to this day, matter of fact, right before the break, I got an email from someone who was like, can you come and be our keynote speaker? And on the, the form that they fill out, it's how did you hear about me? It was someone attended this conference and heard you speak in that conference was like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And so I, you're absolutely right. That's such a great strategy for folks in terms of conferences. And now that we're in a virtual world, the expenses mm-hmm. to actually get in to present to a conference are a lot lower, hopefully, to be able to, you know, get in into that space. Mm-hmm. So someone asked a question. I'm just going to have them quickly clarify to make sure that we're getting their question answered. They, it, It's a two-part question. Question. They said, what advice would you offer teachers wanting to branch into coaching? And also, do you believe coaching is a critical step to independent consulting? So I'm going to have you answer the first question. But for the person who put this in the chat, if you could just clarify the second part, because I want to make sure we're answering the question you want us to answer. If when you say, do you believe coaching is a critical step to independent consulting? Do you mean providing coaching as a service in your business? Or do you mean you as the consultant receiving coaching Mm. on your consulting journey? So if you could just clarify that in the chat and while that person is doing that, Deborah, what advice would you offer teachers wanting to branch into consulting or branch into coaching? Excuse me. Oh, wow. Goodness. That's a tricky one because I think a lot of times it depends on your school and how long you've been there. What is the culture there? I've worked in schools where coaching was just not a thing. We're not, we don't do that. <laughs> just everyone's teaching. Uh, no one's coaching. I did a lot of work with raising my hand for the trainings for a critical friends group facilitator, a pair group evaluation. And so I did a lot of the, I'll do it. Oh, a week in the summer. I'll do it. I'll take mm-hmm. it. When the schools were offering it and people were like, oh, I'm out of here. I was one of those people that was signing up. Oh yeah, I'll do Orton Gillingham training. Yes, I'd love to do. Yeah, I'm always willing to take that extra class, read that extra book. And then when they're looking for someone who has the experience or the knowledge, I could also raise my hand again and say, oh yeah, I did that training a year ago. Yep, I did that. Oh yeah, I'm certified in that. So I, I do a lot of certificate programs, webinars. I just am always learning, always, always learning. So that's one thing that I would say. And then also establishing a good rapport with your colleagues, because something that I would say is very challenging is to be in a place where you are, I don't want to use the word level, but when you're with your peers and then you become the coach of your peers, one, if you weren't ready, that can be very difficult and challenging. But also if they're not open to it and and don't want to receive, it can set you up for failure. 
So just really making sure you have a good rapport or if you're going into a new space that you're going in ready for that role. I think it is different when you come in new someplace and you're coaching versus when you're the person who is now coaching your peers, which I've experienced. And it's because of the relationship that I already had with my colleagues that they didn't feel intimidated or they weren't upset. They were actually grateful, like, oh, thank you. I was always willing to share when I wasn't a coach. So then to share in a coaching capacity didn't feel as if I was now something more, better. It was just, I was in a new role. So that's, you know, the one thing I would say is, it still goes back to relationship, which we talked about at the very beginning, connection over curriculum, you know, connecting with people and knowing content is not enough to be a great coach. You have to listen to people and give them what they need and not try to force and push your own agenda. Um, so uh, the person clarified their question and I'm, I'm just going to quickly answer it before we move on. Mm-hmm. So the person, um, they said, should a teacher have coaching experience in a school as a separate role from teaching before considering consulting independently? So this is a really, really good question. And I've gotten the spirit behind this question many times just it just looks different. So essentially folks are asking, what are the types of credentials do I need to have in order to be a consultant? And oftentimes when people ask this type of question, they are defining a credential by a position or a role. And, And what I would encourage people to do is rather than thinking through the criteria as a particular title or role, thinking about the criteria of what is the problem that you are trying to solve in your business And what experience do you have in solving that problem through the role or roles that you've had? And Mm -hmm. so if the problem you're trying to solve in your business isn't actually, this is someone from cycle three, I believe Becca, who has a a business around supporting instructional coaches Mm. and and they're building their ability to help support teachers holistically. Mm. And so because Mm. she's defining that as her problem, then she takes a step back to think about how she's had that experience mm-hmm. of, of solving that problem before in her professional journey. So it has, it, it, in that context, the position does come into play because of the type of problem that she's defining, but it doesn't, it doesn't always come into play. So that's why I say it's important for you to be really clear on the problem that you're solving and less about the position because they're not always that dependent on one another. And what's most important that whatever problem that you're solving, that you have solved it at some point, and I'm sure multiple points within your professional career. So Deborah, as we kind of transition to kind of wrap up here, tell us a little bit about what the mindset work has looked like for you. So entrepreneurship is consistent mindset work. It's mm. ongoing mindset work. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, ooh, this is, you know, someone who's <laughs> into mindfulness is going to talk about her mindset work. <laughs> I mean, like, so, like, exciting for me and juicy because I know the way you can pull it together and talk about it is going to be, like, so mind-blowing. But oh, talk to us um, a little bit about what the mindset journey has looked like for you in your business. For me, and and I almost can't separate in business and in life. Ooh, um, yes, that's a good, good point. Is, first of all, every day is a new opportunity to do something great. I had a friend, a close friend, we'd always say to each other, don't forget to be awesome today. 
And I've been in situations where I wasn't in an ideal situation in the workplace or everything in the world is not going Mm -hmm. well. But I still approach the day as today is a new day to be great. So Mm -hmm. that's the first thing is I look at everything, whether it's a challenge, whether it's boring, but just whatever is before me, it's a new opportunity to be great. There's learning to be had. And within business, how I measure success is not necessarily on the check or the number of contracts. So I think because it's such hard work for me, I'm even when I'm working with my little kindergartner, Vanity's baby, love her. Oh, how did I not know that? That little, seeing her face, hearing her say the words to me, I think I really like math now. That That is so rewarding that I don't get discouraged when I didn't land a certain contract because I still believe if you build it, they will come. Mm. I still believe that what is for me is for me. I'm not competing with my neighbor because I have my own journey. Uh, it's not just about the destination. It's the journey to the destination. And maybe the best, you know, if I, if I worry from point A to point B and I was predestined to end up at point B, all I did was waste a whole lot of time worrying mm-hmm. because if I walk that out without all the worry, I'm going to be just fine. It's only fair to say that I also don't believe that I'm in control. So I'm just putting that out there that, mm-hmm. that that's my journey. That's my yeah. walk is that I I believe I walk in favor. I believe that things work out for my good 100%. Even when it doesn't look like it, I know that I'm I'm victorious in the end. I know that I'm chosen. I'm a royal priestess. I know that, again, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I've never been failed to this point. I, I only know greatness and I only know success, not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. Just that, again, I can't separate my business from my life because I am the exception. I really, now I'm co-signing with you. I am a unicorn. I have three grown children, a single mom. They went to the top schools, you know, elite mm-hmm. schools and, you know, all of those things. And I look back, when I look back over my life, come on, <laughs> it shouldn't have turned out this way. You know, it shouldn't have turned out this way. Immigrant parents grew up in the Bronx, you know, went to public school. Whoa. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a public school kid. You know, I just, there are just so many things that I don't stop and say, but what if I can't? I don't always feel like I'm the best, you know, I, you know, that imposter syndrome, it, it hits everyone. But I'm thankful for the people around me who know who I am. So when I have a moment, of forgetting who I am, I'm quickly reminded and I get back on the path. So that it's important to surround. That, that would be the piece I would give you. Make sure you surround yourself with people who are going somewhere themselves and who know that you're going somewhere so that when you lose your way, they can kick you in the pants so yes. you get back on track. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> mm. need an offer and plate. <laughs> need an offer and plate. You know, the the positivity, it's not, you know, sometimes people say all that woo, woo, woo. It's like, it's not woo, woo. It just really is real. And Maya Angelou talks about people not forgetting how you made them feel. That's the thing that I love when I've worked with inner city kids and Atlanta public school kids. And we've done yoga and mindfulness and I could see the peace on their faces. And I, I know how it made them feel. And they say, 
Miss Peace Lady, what is that pretty music you were playing when we were in Stavashtana? <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Um, that was India Ari. And, <laughs> you know, just to see it, to see it on, on children's faces, what works with children, it will work with adults. Because if we tap into those little people who are still inside of all of us, we, they will feel something. Mm. So I'm not... Mm. I don't think that's a straightforward answer, but that's no, it's a beautiful (laughs) answer. It's a beautiful answer. And um, one thing that it reminds me of is, so you said so many gems and so many really, really important things. And one thing that I want to raise up and pin for folks is what you said around the, the company that you keep and specifically, and you were kind of indirectly naming this. uh, And so I'll name it directly for folks there are there's an entrepreneur squad that you have. There are mm-hmm. people who are also running businesses mm-hmm. that you have in your corner in your circle. And the reason why I just wanted to pull this out and pin is because entrepreneurship requires, and I think your point around the the mindset work is is life mindset work, absolutely. And your business is going to reflect a mirror back of the mindset work you have to do. So your business will show you your scarcity mindsets, which will show up in your life, absolutely. But in order for you to have a thriving, healthy, profitable business, it requires an abundance mindset. And so for folks, so I will speak from my own journey of someone who, who grew up working class, who grew up, with with a, a unspoken norm that money was a scarce resource, all mm. of that that mindset work was reflected back to me in my business that I actually had to get really, really deep to be able to undo and still have to undo that mm. I actually have the power mm-hmm. to generate money mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. a scarce resource. It's an abundant resource. Mm-hmm. And I have the power to be able to generate it and to bring it into my sphere. Mm-hmm. And that is something that if you're not surrounded by the right people, you will think you're wrong. Yes, ma'am. If you're not surrounded by, by the, right, the people right people, yes, who ma'am. Also, understand an abundance mindset and are walking yep. in an abundance mindset, yep. you will feel like an outlier. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I really, really appreciate that point around your community and your squad. Um, mm-hmm, and in particular, mm-hmm. your entrepreneurship squad matters. Hell so, yeah. Debor, tell the folks how they can connect with you if you have any services Ooh. in your businesses that you want to talk about or anything coming up. What do you want to share with okay. folks? All right. So, I will first say mymathematicalmind1 at gmail.com is my email. Mymathematicalmind.com is my website. But if you follow hashtag Black Women Rock Math <laughs> and you go to that website, I'm linked there as well. And then you also have access to my squad, Kanika and Dion with Math Trust and Reimage Mathematics. And we work together and we are that squad you were talking about. We are kicking each other every day. <laughs> and we have to take turns not being okay so that we can always be okay. We also play off of each other's strengths and stretches. What is the stretch for me is that social media and marketing, but Dion mm-hmm. is the queen. You know, mm-hmm. so 
we are learning from one another. So reach out. You can reach out. I'm on Instagram. You know, you're here with me now. I'm on Twitter at Miss De- at Deb Parrot One. Follow me there. And like I said, if you're looking for me, if you just remember Black Women Rock Math, you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Deborah, thank you for making the time for sharing your story with folks. And I, I talk about this word a lot in my business and everything that you named in terms of the problem that your business is solving reminded me of of the word again of freedom of what does yes. it actually look like to create freedom when it comes to math because how mm-hmm, much of us mm-hmm, are actually mm-hmm. in shackles when we're thinking yes. about our ability to to operate from a mindset of math abundance right <laughs> like, right and so <laughs> and so in hearing you talk that's why I was just like oh my god yes like I, I'm like all of the nerves of joy in me were like mm-hmm. firing off mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I heard the creation of freedom that yes. you are creating within your business. And yes. I know that when that happens, when kids are free, mm-hmm. period, and They're in particular, parents. period, <laughs> and in particular when it comes to math, mm-hmm. like what that means for our world and our communities, it's incredibly powerful. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your business yes, and, and the fact that, that you are betting on yourself through your business. Yes. Um, and so we have a... I'm sorry, I was just going to say, we have, we have high hopes for 2021. We're hoping to start a podcast. We hey. already have a, yeah, yep, yeah, a Black Women Rock Math podcast. We already have our blog. We're going to be inviting women to write for our blog. And we're just excited to keep the conversation going. So I'm a part of that. And again, through Black Women Rock Math, my business also benefits. So I'm all about it. Awesome. Y'all show Deborah some love uh, in the chat for, for spending time with us this evening. And we've talked about my program a couple of times during this conversation mm-hmm. of Get Launch Consulting and enrollment is open. So if that's something Ooh. you want more information about, you can DM me and mm-hmm. or click on the link in my bio to be able to access the link. Invest in yourself. You. Invest in yourself, EJ. This course is awesome. I'm telling you, it is fantastic. I'm, uh, that's something I do not regret at all. And I already knew something. But if I had it to do it all over again, I would choose you again, EJT. Oh, that's I would. I would do it all over again. So you all get sign up. Those those faces go quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Deborah. Be safe, be well. I'm forever in your corner cheering you on and we'll talk soon. All right, thanks. Have a good night and thank you everyone. Bye-bye.